1: It's that time again. March 2015, Sour Hour. Special day today. Oh, yeah. In all of our lives. I couldn't, get, wait to, couldn't wait to get on the air today. I, I, I heard it firsthand. Breaking news on uh, the session. Beer news hosted by radio personality Scott oh. Moskowitz, a.k.a. Moscow, known by many people. But not my best friends.
2: <laughs> they, they, they are not too sure. You, but, you just press buttons, right? Oh, yeah. ah, you, have, you have more than one show, huh? That's interesting.
1: Anyway, but not to over-tease it, it's 3.11 days.
2: Yes! Oh, I got some 3.11 loaded up for you guys today. Oh, yeah. In and out of breaks? Uh, I think I'm just going to load up the actual breaks with them. Okay. Yeah, because, you know, I have people listening in, uh, to my music in the breaks, because they've mm-hmm. liked what I've played so far. Oh, uh, I, I, have heard I that didn't too. like hip-hop, but now I do, because you played The Influence by Jurassic 5. So now they'll be forced to listen to 3.11 at least the first 10 seconds.
1: You're so influential on people.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I'm just—I'm breaking them. uh, Here's breaking news on a band that's 20 years old.
1: Yeah, exactly. Believe it or not, this is the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. We're going to talk about sour beer at some point tonight. I'm your host uh, Jay Goodwin from the Rare Barrel. Uh, We're here at the Brewing Network Studios in downtown Concord, Studio ADD ADHD. Huh? What's the studio name again? What were you just talking about? What? Oh, I get it. <laughs> you made the same joke like two shows ago, man. Yeah, well, I like it. You know me; I like to recycle my jokes. That's got there. Uh, Bevo's also here. Hi, Bevo. She has one earbud in, and
2: it ain't us. Put on your goddamn headphones, Bev. With who? She's on hold. She
1: says. I like this because it's good radio at the top. I'm on hold trying to get health insurance right now. What? I've been on We're hold on for on the an air, hour. Bev. What are you doing? <laughs> Well, she's already she been on an hold in a health company. Jesus. Off to a great start tonight. Oh, yeah. Uh, you can join in the fun. Contact us. Uh, call us on your uh, telephone, cellular or rotary, um, 888-401-BEER. Join us in the chat. Uh, Bevo's not paying attention. Uh, or email us during the week, scott at com. You can also watch us on uh, thebrewingnetwork.com slash tv. Yeah, and then uh, if you're not down to uh, do any of that live stuff, just go ahead and subscribe on iTunes, uh, and go ahead and leave us feedback too. Um, you know, we're always looking for your thoughts and uh, seeing how you guys like the show. Yeah, so big show tonight. We have a uh, one of the most famous brewers, I think, in all the sour beer community, Chad Jacobson from Crooked Stave, who's known as the guru of Britannomyces, the godfather of Brett. Literally has a master's in Britannomyces. And Scott and I were talking before the show, you know, uh, I think, um, so Chad was on the the session, which is some other podcast on this network, (laughs) which I don't really listen to that often. But I did on this episode, uh, and it was about three years ago uh, that Chad was on representing Crooked Stave and I believe, uh, Scott, you told me one time that that show got downloaded more than every other session combined. Is that true?
2: Uh, not combined, but it was the highest downloaded session of 2012.
1: So we're hoping for a little ratings boost with Chad. Yeah, a a, know, For Sour Hour.
2: Well, and when he was on, uh, I got, I've gotten tons and tons of feedback. Oh, Bevo just got in touch with someone from the insurance company. <laughs> <laughs> I like your expressions. He uh, got a lot of feedback, too. Like I, I got emails... Um, tons of emails asking to get him back on, and I all, it seems like he, is it just my perception or did he come out of nowhere? Because I've, I never heard his name mm-hmm. until early 2012, and then all of a sudden I got 50 emails saying, you got to get this guy on.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, we can ask him about it a little bit, it's probably a little bit of a whirlwind, but he went from studying overseas, uh, you know, a topic that is not well studied, and uh, you know, a pr- 100% primary fermentations of Britannomyces, to then just kind of blasting on the brewing scene at a time where, you know, sour beer was starting to creep up and become more popular, but, uh, you know, that that trend has just really skyrocketed into, into today, and uh, he's been at the forefront of it. He's influenced the beers that we're making at the Rare Barrel, um, and he's also just been a good friend, a good uh, resource for us, and I know a lot of other uh, new startup sour breweries, too, so he's the perfect person to have on the Sour Hour because he's... He's already doing what we're trying to do here, which is, you know, spread the gospel of, you know, best practices on sour beer making.
2: I bet you, I mean, I wonder how uh, he's got to have been no small influence on the amount of Brett beers, too. I mean, are there 180 million percent more Brett beers than there were in 2012, just on the shelves? I'm I'm drinking Allagash Session Brett right now, and Mm -hmm. they've been doing it, I guess, for a while. But
1: how many more Brett beers are there now than there were then? There's a lot. And I think, you know, a lot of the topics that... uh, chad touched on on his session which was uh april 2012 if anyone wants to go back and listen and i recommend you do although if you're listening to this show i bet you've listened to that probably session more than once more than once i got
2: jamil zanishef texting me probably two weeks after that show saying he listened to it twice wow that's pretty good and that's uh you you, you, you talked good <laughs> if, if if you're you know i was impressed
1: absolutely um so yeah we're gonna get into uh a lot of that stuff with chad who's also known for his uh ryan gosling look-alike looks so oh, is well, he that'll be a topic man? he's
2: got a beard though obviously right
1: yeah he keep, you know he keeps it pretty uh trimmed unlike my own if you're watching on uh brewing com slash tv uh, yours is yours is uh bushy but kept You're a handsome man. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Moving on from that, uh, that, the moment. (laughs) Bevo is nodding feverishly. (laughs) She just got approved for the insurance. That's why. (laughs) A couple of things I want to touch on, just uh, Brewing Network related that I saw on the Facebook.com slash Brewing Network was that you guys had uh, some sort of homebrew collab with uh, Quaff. Were you involved in that?
2: I wasn't. I was in Vegas this weekend, but uh, but yeah, uh, I uh, I think, uh, let's see, Tasty wasn't there either uh let's see beardy. who else wasn't there uh viva was not there justin and uh beardy i think yeah they did they uh they i think it was mike sardina from society and justin uh, brewed a beer uh mm-hmm. that uh, allegedly justin has not screwed up yet that's the word as of today mm-hmm. wednesday three eleven day yeah but there's always tomorrow
1: is it an amber ale
2: <laughs> I, I actually it's close <laughs> i think it's like a brown porter or something like that
1: brown porter i okay. could be wrong cool and then uh you guys on the session this past week, uh, Tayoga Sequoia, is that right?
2: Yeah. those. Have you listened to that one yet? I have those not guys listened to that yet. Have you had much of their beer yet?
1: I see a couple of their beers on tap, so I want to try them. What's, what was the takeaway from that?
2: Well, they're making a huge variety, which is really cool to see. They're I, probably 20 different styles. Uh, everything from barrel-aged stouts to, you know, a golden ale. And uh, their brewmaster looks like their president, because he's an old dude with white hair and a white mustache. Mm-hmm. And they're... Uh, president looks like their brewmaster. He's like a 29-year-old us guy. And so, But it's a, it, it was a funny mix. Uh, his name is Kevin Cox, the brewmaster. He's making mm-hmm. killer beer. If you have access to it, I think it's basically Central Valley, California only right now. Um, but uh, they are uh, growing big time. So maybe it'll be on the shelf near you soon.
1: Awesome. Just a couple of other things I wanted to touch on at the top. Uh, go ahead and listen to our last show where we had Nick <laughs> you do the you do the uh, for, first finger, touch the thumb,
2: shake your hand backwards yes. every time you say that. I think I that's what it. you're
1: supposed to do when you have a, an Italian, I hope that's an Italian it name, it seems like an Italian name. Uh, founder of the Yeast Bay, which is a relatively small yeast lab, uh, you know, kind of like a craft yeast lab uh, here on the West Coast. Um, they're producing their yeast kind of almost like on a... If you imagine like a contract brewery, they're like a contract contract yeast lab, and they uh, work with white labs to make all their strains available on a big scale for commercial breweries or home brewers. Um, So we got lots of good information on uh, isolation of yeast, how to start a yeast lab, lots of good stuff, uh, really technical things from last week. So I definitely recommend you go back and listen to that show. Obviously this week we're continuing our undefeated streak of having guests who are smarter than me with, uh, <laughs> with having chat on. You know, Scott's asking me at the top of the show, uh, you know, what do you want to talk about from the rare barrel? And I was kind of like, you know what? Our last show was so recent that, you know, I don't have a lot of updates, but one update I wanted to say was uh, Sour Hour related. And that's that next week, we're actually, we have a show on the schedule. I don't know when it'll go up on iTunes or anything, but I think we're, are we doing that one live? Yeah.
2: Oh yeah, definitely. And actually I was going to ask you during the break if you wanted to even mention that. I'm, I'm glad you did.
1: I do want to mention it. Sweet. So we can, we can do that now. Yeah. So go, go me, ahead. Me, me?
2: Oh yeah. Me, you, me, you, 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 yeah. you made it happen.
1: <laughs> well, we're, we're lucky enough to, uh, get an email from, uh, very nice people at Rodenbach. So now he emailed you, right? Or the, or they, uh, they emailed you, I should say. Yeah. Okay. Representatives of the brewery Rodenbach uh, emailed us and, uh, you know, I guess they listen. They listen to the show. Um, and uh, Rudy, their brewmaster, is going to come into town to do some other events. I believe they'll be doing an event at the Rear Barrel, um, but they're going to make a little bit of time to uh, come on the show, which is amazing. Very exciting. I
2: was so stoked to hear that.
1: It's, you know, it, I don't know if any of you out there have been to Rodenbach, but they have like an enormous brew house and these like. It's like a forest of fooders. They're like 100-barrel tanks, huge oak tanks, and you, you walk into one room, and there's 50, and then you go through it, and you're like, wow, Rodenbach's really big. And then you walk into the next room, and it's like, oh, here's 100 more. Wow, it, The scale at which they're making sour beer is just mind-boggling. And we're going to have them in the studio to talk about sour beer, which is Just super exciting.
2: So, I've been telling the story. I'm like telling everybody I know that they're coming on. Mm -hmm. And I've been saying, well, they emailed Jay because they, you know, they had heard about his brewery and he's making such a name for himself in Sour Beer that the guys from Rodenbach are reaching out to him. And as a bonus, hey, the guy's going to come and do the show. But now it's because of the Brewing Network, is what you're saying. Oh yeah. Oh well shit. Oh, I'm giving yeah. you credit. All credit to oh, I, no. I take it all back.
1: Oh, I take no credit. Yeah, I also I also haven't read all the emails, those all went to Alex, so <laughs> <laughs> I don't care how it happened. I just know that Rudy's gonna be here in studio uh, next week. It's gonna be Wednesday, but we're gonna do a little early recording. It's not gonna be a it's not a regular show at all. It's just kind of a special thing. He's in town.
2: For sure. But if you wanna tune in live, we'll still take calls. We'll we'll do whatever if you're around.
1: Yeah, it'd be Uh, more of a, more of a lunch show Pacific time, but,
2: uh... Yeah, what's it, Wednesday the 18th at uh, 1 p.m. we'll be on with uh, Rudy from Rodenbach. Awesome.
1: Yeah, that's going to be really fun and, you know, hopefully just a lot of really good information out of that. Cool. Well, I, I don't want to waste too much time at the top. I want to get to uh, Chad, but I know we still have a backlog of uh, some questions, so maybe can we whittle that down before taking a break?
2: Well, no, because I'm giving precedence to the callers, and there's someone on the line, so I don't want to uh, read an email. I don't want to keep the... Who, who's on the line there, Bev? I don't have anything else. Skype. I hey,
1: Skyped you. Did you not see it? No. Are you in your own Skype, or are you in the Brewing Network Skype?
2: Brewing Network. And now Chad's offline, by the way. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> his, his name is Drew. All
2: right. Uh, Drew? Caller and
3: on the line. Yeah,
2: hey man, turn your thing down, will you? we yeah, will do. What's up?
3: Hi, so uh, I just kind of wanted to prompt a discussion about uh, dry hop sours. Um, I'm working on a recipe, I'm on my third iteration now, and um, just in my question really pertains to like, uh, glycoside activity and you know, what strains maybe I could expect that from, and what I'm supposed to find uh, if that's happening. Um, But in general, I guess maybe just prompt a a discussion about it.
1: I think what we should do, Scott, is tease that for after the break because, number one, I don't know what a glycoside is, and I'm sure Chad will because he's smarter than I am. (laughs) All right, perfect. But two uh, is that Chad is going to release a new beer of his, which is uh, a dark-sour with I think a few varieties of dry hop, so we can kind of have that discussion that Drew was asking for, uh, maybe just shortly after the break. Sounds good. All right, let's do it. Uh, you're listening to the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Mm-hmm. Special 311 edition of the Sour Hour on the Brewing Network. Um, Did you look up the answer to the guy's question? I tried tonight? to, but I needed like definitions for the definition. So this is what I want to do. Number one, not forget about our great sponsor, sourbeerblog.com, who sponsors all the questions on tonight's show. And actually, uh, just saw that recently there's a new, uh, new blog post on. Food Creek uh, from the uh, Cuvée Rene uh, Lindeman's, Yeah. And I thought that was interesting because, so you can hear uh, Dr. Lambic's review of that beer, but it's such a similar style to the beer that he sent us. What I'd be curious about is how his beer compared to that one. So maybe that's, you know, idea for the next blog post. You know, I'm just saying, yeah. that'd be cool.
2: Um, what but, also would be cool would be to get some
1: of that beer. Yes, Dr. We, Lambic. We can always use some more. Oh wait, no,
2: we had his. That was what we had, right? His yeah, creek. Creek. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: So and it was nice and funky. So I'd be I'd be curious to see what those look like side by side. So before the break, uh, Drew had a great question about dry hopping, trying to start a discussion about something I'd never heard of, beca- called uh, glycosides. So I'm going to take this opportunity to bring in someone who may know what that is. Uh, Bertanomyces guru, godfather of Brett, owner, brewer. Bus driver at Crooked Stave Artisan Beer Project, Chad Jacobson. Are you it's there, lot, Chad? It's a lot of titles for one it man. Is,
2: it is quite a few. Good job.
1: <laughs> What's the bus driver thing about?
0: You know, like driving the bus.
1: Oh, uh, hello. Like it's a metaphor. Driving,
0: driving the shop.
1: I thought you were, you know, maybe doing some beer distribution or something.
0: <laughs> yeah, back in the day, it was everything
1: for sure so Chad uh, hope you're doing well we're gonna throw you right into the mix here uh, did you get a chance to uh, hear Drew's question or should we bring it back
2: I think Chad you were blasting 311 in your headphones weren't you you didn't hear it I was yep there you go you was 311. here you know what let's, <laughs> let's let uh, Drew repeat the question Drew
3: go ahead hi guys uh, I don't know I, I haven't heard what y'all talked about so far
2: see so. he was blasting 311 too <laughs> uh, yeah. we, we, here restate the question for, for Chad uh, the uh, Brett guru
3: okay sure Um, Hi, Chad. So I'm uh, on my third iteration of just creating a a sour brett IPA or dry hops, you know, sour. And um, I've I've read a little bit about um, these compounds in hops that are uh, both flavor and aroma that are bound to sugars. And so that some brett strains have the ability to unbind them from sugars and then free those up so that you get like extra flavor and aroma. Um, But it seems like that's uh, strain dependent, so like not all of them can do that. So I'm wondering, uh, for one, like which strains maybe I could expect that from, like where I could maybe find those strains. And uh, I don't know, uh, also just have a general discussion about dry hops uh, bread beers just because I'm interested in it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you're right on the kind of uh, the cusp there. Of they are their these glycosidic compounds are aromatic, flavorful compounds that are attached to uh, same thing, kind of multiple these different uh, sugar compounds. I believe they're five chain compounds, and with different Botrytis strains, it has the ability to cleave that bond. Uh, it's also kind of known as de novo sin- synthesis and when it does this it creates these novel esters, these characteristics that weren't there before. It can do this with not just hops, uh, fruit, spices and different stuff. Uh, I think to me that hops kind of has the neatest, uh, I-, I guess kind of the, the best ability to be used in beer. When you use you know fruit with bread beers and sours, you know, we see a lot more of those and you're not thinking about these novel characteristics the way we are in hops and all the aroma hops that we're getting these days. So all the research that I've seen on this, because it's not something that I've been able to directly study, directly kind of look at for research, has really shown that it is strain dependent. And it really seemed like there was one out there that really did this and others didn't. It's kind of a really interesting thing in the literature. So you can find this in Britannomyces. I know that Miller Coors has done a lot of research on hop glycosides, Uh, or actually it's more Miller and I don't think any of that is available to any of us. And so has Tom Nielsen at Sierra Nevada. And I kind of think that it's been, from my understanding, and kind of talking with Tom Nielsen a little bit, they didn't find hop glycosides to be all that important. That what was measurable, what could happen, they would actually use, they, would, uh, they were taking hops and they were adding beta glucosidase enzyme directly to it. So really getting the synthesis, not trying to do it enzymatically, but really in a chemical kind of lab type setting to see what would happen. And then they were doing it with, they'd run it through GC Sniff. And they weren't finding anything that was extremely conclusive, or at least that was kind of my understanding of it. My, what I have seen of it has been more impractical. Taking beers that were uh, double IPAs, really large, almost American bottle wines, and doing Brett for bottle conditioning. And seeing after three or four months just extreme lavender and lime zest coming out of amarillo and simcoe for example and so that's mostly kind of really what what i've seen for it we've continued to play around with it at cricket stave and we have a actually a a whole line of kind of sour beers and dry hopping that's going on my hope is to be able to look at it more i think you see it less when you have the bacteria in with the beer when it's actually the sour as compared to when it's just kind of say brett secondary inoculated or brett primary fermented but uh i mean it's it's kind of one of the really exciting places in the field right now because there's not a ton of research there is stuff going on uh but not published so it's you know it's kind of up to the people who are are being able to play with it being able to taste it and consumers kind of seeing it and it's hard you you might see after three months or six months
1: absolutely and you're you're seeing a lot of anecdotal evidence of you know a lot of flavor changes uh you know chad you touched on that there's not a lot of research in this topic um What we found at the Rare Barrel doing our dry hop sours is that, uh, you know, the hop component of it, the dry hopping component does change quite a bit. We do a yeah. lot of uh, collaborations with a brewery in San Francisco, uh, Cellar Maker Brewing Company, and they they know their hops uh, backwards and forwards and we trust them to kind of craft the dry hopping schedule and pick the hops uh, for our sour beers. That's the collaboration part of it. Um, but even then, when we're uh, tasting them along the way, the, the character that they're so used to with their hops uh, changes so much with the interaction with the acids, probably some of that interaction with the bread, that they get these flavors and aromas that they're totally not used to. Um, but yeah, Chad, you know, Chad, you mentioned, uh, some of the stuff you guys do maybe expand on that a little bit. I know you guys are either about to, or you just have, uh, released like a, a dark sour with some dry hops. Is that right?
0: Yeah. So we have, uh, we have a beer that ultimately is not too different than hop savant. We kind of approach it them both two different ways. Uh, it's being done with mixed culture fermentation, so it's it's Brett and bacteria really from the get go. And what we started doing it with it was we changed the recipe just a little bit, kind of to hold the base as you would with any. Uh, but started dry hopping it. We released its progenitor, and we released the golden version uh, maybe a month or so ago. And then act- actually uh, today is the release of the dark version, and it was the same same kind of take and same idea. I, I think, Jay, you kind of uh, touch on it the best. It really is anecdotal when you're kind of looking at it. So you've got to have something to kind of compare against, which is the hard thing. And once you kind of understand those hops, and once you know them, you can start to look at it. And so in these we are still right now, what we're doing is playing around with. For me, I, I love the tropical fruit and citrus characteristics. I think it goes really well with the citrus sort of bread, tart, sour characters that you get and so to pair the two is what i really like to do in this most recent one because it's darker we went with more we used some falconer's flight a little bit of columbus some simcoe hops that took it in a different direction from the golden one and the idea is to kind of keep it going keep working with the hops and watch how they evolve over time same way we did with hop savant and eventually we'll start to bring that beer back soon here hop savant was was the one really from the first time when I saw this it, it was pretty pretty amazing when I saw what brett could do with hops and how it could protect them and that's what we kind of set out to do with hops was like okay let's use the brett in the beginning and watch it not only protect the hops but change the flavors and we still see it we still see the characteristics of the hops coming out one year later so I want to see if the same thing's happening in the sour beers and how it works. Certainly it's, it's happening to a different extent, and I want to see you know what difference the bacteria might make. Bacteria itself is also um, not just kind of antimicrobial but uh, anti-oxidative uh, and being able to like, further protect that alongside with the botanomyces there. So you get really unique flavors, and what's interesting is they, they drop out but then increase over time. So we'll see when we first release them and they're fresh. We're, you know, really ecstatic about how much hop character came into it. And it's still just kind of a new thing, thing about sour beers and and the dry hopping. And then you kind of watch it go away from what you what you first knew, and, and it's a little bit of a bummer. You're like, oh man, where did those original hop flavors go? You go back to it, then two months after that, three months after that, all of a sudden there's a whole new set. That's kind of that anecdotal evidence of. You know the to me of the beta glucosidase, or of new flavors coming out from hops. You know whether that's beta glucosidase or that's just uh, what's being able to go on with the hop and not oxidizing as much. That that part I'm not sure about, but it's it's pretty fascinating when you you know when you compare it against IPAs or black IPAs. You know and you're like, okay, drink fresh, have fresh, because as it oxidizes, it's not a very complementary set of flavors that return after three or four months.
1: Absolutely. And I think, you know, you touch on something that's that's really true and telling is that, you know, Brett research and progress on making new flavors and aroma in Brett beers and sour beers uh, almost mirrors the new flavors and aromas that are being produced by hop varieties and dry hopping techniques, because You know, you're kind of looking for this intense flavor and aroma spectrum where, you know, for both of those things, sometimes you'll get more of the fruity, floral, tropical side of the spectrum. But then on the other side, in both hops and in brett, you can get kind of that more funky or dank or resinous or piney or spicy where it's. You know a little more harsh but it's fun to you know layer those flavors and aromas in in hoppy beers but also do it in bread beers and then also do it across hoppy bread beers as well so yeah. i think i think there's a there's huge potential for this as a as a new frontier in in brewing beer and luckily uh the way that uh people who are into craft beer are um sort of easily introduced to the style so far uh you know i think there's a lot of potential for people to to really geek out about it
0: absolutely the layer the layering of flavors i think is extremely important hops actually play a really a really big role um but it's not always when you just taste the beers you won't always pick them up but we dry hop some of our saisons very lightly uh some of the one are st brett even st bretta so hops and what that plays into the citrusness is actually extremely important in those beers, but yet when you're drinking it, you're not you're not completely picking it up because it's not a one note character. It's layered in there amongst other layers, builds complexity.
2: Hey, uh, Chad, are you using uh, like a headset with a mic? I am yes. I don't know if uh, the mic's moving around. There's like uh, some uh, like a rustling noise.
0: Yep, that's me rustling around in the chair. Actually,
2: okay. Yeah, we'll actually, kn- <laughs> Chad
1: is excellent on the maracas. That's what is you're, that? What those yeah. are?
2: All right, we'll knock it off until after the show, and then you'll play some three eleven for me on them. All right. Brian- Perfect. Sounds
1: great. Ryan Gosling, good looks, and dynamite on the maracas. <laughs> that's that's Chad right there. Hey, did
2: uh, you want? <laughs> do you use a uh, a fooder there at Crooked Stave? Yes, we uh, do. We have
0: fourteen of them.
2: Okay. Oh got them all lined up there. So uh, so this is good. This is a question about fooders from Cole Lundquist from the email. He said he's heard a, a lot of people discarding barrels for defects like acetobacter, ethyl acetate, etc. How do breweries uh, with fooders handle that issue? So if, is there a remedy for a fooder that goes bad or is it just more difficult to get that kind of damage with such a low oxygen seepage? He just said it seems hard to justify the cost of such massive barrels if they may need to be discarded.
0: Yeah, big thing with that comes to how how you kind of work with them. Um, I do find wine barrels to have more problems. I think that, you know, some of that could be because of the auction. Some of that could also be the winery they came from. When wineries are discarding barrels, it's lost or not because maybe of a Brett problem or because most, most often is because they're just well into their life. Wineries will use wine barrels for you know, three vintages of whites, and then five more vintages of reds. And there's, you know, that, that's kind of being general. There's obviously wineries of different stuff, but those are kind of more the wine barrels that you're tending to find. Uh, for us as well, we really use barrels as, as the environment that you're being able to ferment the beer in, the, the character that you're getting out of it, that complexity. It's not about making a, you know, a certain varietal wine barrel aged beer of that sense. And so with fooders, you're more using fooders for fermentation. A lot of fooders actually are used one month out of the year, and that's it, at wineries. And after the wineries get done with them, they are then uh, they open them up in the top. They blow air through them with a big fan. I mean, all sorts of stuff where you'd say, like, oh, it's got to get acetobacter in there. I would say with the ones that we've gotten in uh, that we haven't had. It. Actually, we, we've got one right now. Uh, that we've smelt them we're like, yeah, it's, a, it's got a good aroma to them. We usually get them after they're ozone, clean, sulfur, really taken well care of. I think wineries probably tend to take better care of their fooders uh, to begin with. But also, our standpoint, you know, with a barrel, when we get barrels in, we pull the heads off, we go through, uh, I call it relivening the barrel, kind of just loosen up that layer where all the wine is just caked on to the barrel. And you have the wine stone. But the other thing you get in smaller barrels is you get splinters inside and it actually creates a, a blister. We we remove all those blisters. Um, <clears throat> winemakers should as well, but you know, they, they tend not to. So when we pull the head off with the back of a of a hammer, we will kind of get at that blister, pull it out, and oftentimes the wine in there is holding acetobacter, is you know, it's spoiled wine by that point. By getting that out, by then rinsing that barrel, we have much better success with barrels. I've actually I've never thrown a barrel away, ever. Hmm. Yeah, I'm not going to talk about the other stuff we haven't had happen either because I'm just being <laughs> myself. Um, but we're very, very meticulous with how we do barrels. Footers are really, really thick staves. I have never seen a blister in a footer. I've never gotten a footer that has wine crystal all over it. They really seem to be taken care of. When you, when you get them in that condition, it's really easy for us. I mean, we'll swell them with HLT water. We rinse all of our fooders with a, a product called Acto 140, uh, but essentially it's barrel cleaner. This It's an, a little bit of an oxidizing agent, so if you just pour it onto the wood, it bleaches it a tiny bit. It's similar to PBW, uh, except for it has no surfactant in it, so it will rinse completely out. Winemakers use it all the time. It's barrel cleaner. We then fill those fooders with potassium metabisulfite and citric acid, always. We always do this. We want to see that the barrel, the food is swollen, but I also want to knock back. My idea is that I'm killing almost anything that's in that fooder. So I think it's, it's two to one, two grams per liter of potassium metabisulfite sulfite and one gram per liter of citric acid. And we'll hold that in the fooder for a little while until we're ready to then fill the fooder. When we fill the fooder, we're filling it with our cultures, and we're making sure to inoculate it really well. And doing that, and our turnover, and all our process all the way through the rest, we don't see Acetobacter and those things take hold. I do know um, you know, from our great friends up in New Belgium uh, that they've had fooders come in. And they have so many and are really able to see across the board where they see ones that behave better than others. They've done some really fun tricks uh, you know, bacteria doesn't like hops, so they've made really, really hoppy beers. This is back before they made Ranger or anything like that, uh, just so they could hold it in the fooder over time and stuff. Uh, so there there is, there are issues with fooders, but, you know, I think that process goes much further into that than, um, than letting product really spoil in it.
1: For sure. It's definitely a topic we've, uh, you know, stressed on this show is that, you know, prepping your oak, whether it be... Barrel or food or before you put in the sour beer is of critical importance. Um, you know it should be on on par with you know prepping a fermenter for clean fermentation. You know uh, while oak is a porous um, material, you know you still have to put in a lot of care because like Chad just ran down. You know a lot of bad things can go wrong, but with a lot of good prep, you know you can be like Chad and never lose a barrel and never have anything go wrong at your brewery, like you just said, and it never will. And you don't need to knock on wood at all.
2: <laughs> it's true it's a lot of, a lot, of, lot that goes into it uh i want to stress too jay that uh you know don't be too worried about repeating yourself you feel like well we've talked about oak barrels or and i've heard you on previous shows like well i think we address that do not worry repetition is the mother of learning so if you're saying th- if you listen to a uh, good uh, talk show hosts they they just repeat and repeat and repeat and that's what
1: drives those points so. what's the mother of learning repetition Rep- repetition okay,
2: yeah if you gotcha. repeat yourself <laughs> that's the mother
1: what did repeat. i say Repeating it, <laughs> right. love it. Gotcha. Um, cool. Before we get too far into the questions that the, the listeners have, questions that I have for you, Chad, I just want to get a quick overview of your sour beer program for maybe people who aren't quite as familiar uh, as maybe some of the other listeners. Um, tell us just a little bit about Crooked Save and and what sours you guys are making over there.
0: So our uh, you know really kind of what I, what I lean on, what I really love with with sour beer. Is really a term that I consider more wild. Uh, I'm sure both you know Alex and Jay have gotten to listen to me kind of wean on about this. We we produce beers that have a lot of Brettanomyces character to them, and acidity is not always the underlying factor. Although I, I do have to admit these days, in the beginning when we really started uh, with Crooked Dave, you know everyone was like, oh, it's a, a sour brewery, and I really was was quick to defend like we're not a sour brewery. You know, we use Brettanomyces. We make beers that aren't sour it's funny over time uh like 99 percent of all the beer we release is actually sour so i guess <laughs> i guess it's true we do make sour beer um but we try and really hit in between all the levels there so we've got two barrel age saisons that we release quarterly we actually have kind of four what we what were our core beers that we do quarterly so uh va and surrette uh va is a we call it artisanal saison you know real light in character va means old kind of old tradition it was a Cezanne that we really worked on the recipe with Yvonne de Beats. Yvonne de Beats is uh, the amazing Yvonne de Beats, as he should be called. He knows uh, Cezanne, owner. yeah. Yes, he does. Owner and a, a, a Brasser de la Seine and really one of the leading historians for Cezanne. You can find him in the, the Farmhouse Sales book when you read about old Cezanne. Uh, I pretty much consider that the Bible uh, and most things that come out of Yvonne's <laughs> mouth. And so we've created these beers both via and Serrette to yeah, I spend a couple of months in Fooders. They have older vintages blended into them. And then VA, we actually dry hop just lightly. It uh, lifts grassy, citrus, kind of lime type notes into it. And Syrette, we keep as it is. It's very vineyous, kind of I like. So, our slant on Saison, you know, most people drink it and they're like, oh, this is sour beer. Uh, but really trying to look at kind of what historic Saison was, how it aged for you know always six months, always in oak, always had Brettanomyces, and went from being actually very hoppy to eventually taking on that that bitter or that sorry bacterial kind of sour character. We have two or had two 100 percent Brettanomyces beers except for we also love our mixed culture so much that both St. Bretta and Hop Savant started being done with our mixed culture. We're looking as we get stainless steel fermenters in to do more 100% Brett without the acidity in it. Uh, but instead, kind of, we were doing a lot of that, just repitching multiple propagations of our mixed culture. And so that's kind of that, that way we started to go. So we have those four cores. But the big thing is our long barrel aged sour program. Same thing, we work off three cores there a gold, a burgundy, and a dark, as we call them. And we can essentially do anything with them. Uh, Axe are very familiar with this uh we pretty much have about the, the same mentality i think you know when you look at it when you see what you're able to brew you know not having a brew house uh we still don't have a brew house uh that's another awesome <laughs> fun topic that's
1: another podcast
0: yep i have four construction projects currently going on <laughs> wow uh one's a distribution company that's another podcast uh but being able to get that brew house up because we haven't had it being able to play around with these three bases, add fruits, and be able to show kind of the plethora. These are the much more tart, kind of barrel-aged, sour, proper sour beers that we do. Uh, none of that's, yeah, kind of playing around. When we get the brew house up, uh, we might even make some non-sour beers and non uh, beers. Whoa, why yeah, would you I do just, that?
2: Why would you do that, Well, Chad? and just like the last time, Chad, <laughs> you'd just say you're not going to do it, and then you just do it anyway.
0: Yeah, so that's why I try and stay away from ever saying I won't do something. I try and just say we don't currently.
2: Yeah, I wonder if you find a nickel <laughs> for every brewer that was like, uh, "Yeah, I got into, I finally got my pro brewing gig, and I said I will not be making an IPA at my brewery." And then about uh, six months in, they're like, "Yeah, I kind of have to."
1: That's no, it's a lager. That's not a nail.
2: So,
0: <laughs> <laughs> exactly.
2: Uh, let's do a question uh, for you, Chad, from the chat. This is from Dan. He said, uh, "What's your take on the anecdotal experience that a lot of brewers, both pro and amateur, seem to have when they perceive?" that Brett creates more horsey, barnyard funk flavors while under the pressure of CO2, uh, like bottled or kegged. Has there been any research in this area that proves concrete information regarding this, uh, or is it myth? Uh,
0: As far as I know, there's not any concrete evidence or anything like that. Um, I haven't particularly seen this either. I've, I've seen recently on the Internet these conversations about what Brett does under, I prefer to call it under head pressure, uh, not so much under, I mean, it, it is under CO2 pressure, but more on head pressure. This was something I started noticing whew, about four years ago when we started doing our beers. It's a lot more than just flavors as well. Uh, we will we we'll bung, say, when we were doing some of the 100% breath beers, we'll bung that beer, and I'll see uh, residual attenuation out of it. So, kick up fermentation. It's as though the presence of all of a sudden head pressure creates this, this mechanism to botanomyces to, to ferment. Well, you know, as with all fermentation, but especially botanomyces, fermentation has many byproducts, many side products, you know, metabolic pathways. So flavors can be produced along with a plethora of other things. So it's certainly not myth that things are going to happen. But I think to directly say, oh, when you add head pressure, you get more barnyard or more horsey. Type characteristics, which barnyard just uh, such a horrible descriptor. Um, <laughs> I know, like if, if anyone has ever removed a, a you know the saddle off of a horse, and um, mm. I hope no one's beer smells like that. <laughs> um, but you know, yes, more farm-like characteristics, uh, earthy characteristics. That, that's better. Uh, I, that's really to me that I really find that to be strain-dependent. Uh, they're not characteristics that I see often in our beers, and I really associate that with the flavors we use, or with the flavors, <laughs> nice, with the Brettanomyces strains we use. There's a lot of breweries that I don't really see that character with them, and I associate it with the bread strains they're using. And then there's other breweries that I do see those characters more often than others, and same thing, I'm associating it more with the Britanomyces strains. One of the hard things right now is that, well, actually, this is appears to be rapidly changing, Uh, There's a lot of people starting to culture Britannomyces strains. Previous to that, there was a whole three. That would be like if we had three Saccharomyces cerevisiae strains to brew with. I mean, there's just not a lot that you can get out of just three Saccharomyces strains. So, you know, until these change, until we find more, until we start to use them in different ways, there's, you know, a lot more general comments that are made. But I think it falls a lot more to the strain. I think a lot of that's kind of my opinion and a lot of brewing across the board is people's opinions there's theory but there's dogma drives a lot of what brewers do German brewers uh, all sorts of brewers you ask them why they do this well because this is how I was taught or because this is what we do and so you always have to kind of you know play into that a little bit I, I find it very fascinating those are the parts I love about brewing and but I also always try and say hey, but this is also my opinion and opinions can be wrong, um, just like opinions about flavors. You know, one person says lime, another person says lemon. You know, who's wrong to eat to them? That's, that's what they feel like they taste. Those are the fascinating parts about it.
1: Absolutely, but that's, you know, that's why we're happy to have you on the show, Chad, is you know, we want to get into your, your opinions, your dogma, and I want to get, dive into this subject a little bit more, maybe after a quick break, just about funkiness and what are the drivers of it. Yeah. You know, two variables people really like to control in their sour beers are funk, level of funk and then level of acidity. So we'll talk a little bit more after a short uh, beer break. Uh, We'll be right back with uh, Chad Jacobson on the Brewing Network. when do you think uh chad first heard this oh wow i don't know what kind of music chad's into you dad, chad
0: you dig tone lo tone look chad i'm trying to think when i would have uh first heard it i have no clue
1: i think tim clifford said uh it was on like a, a date he's on the senior gr- europe this girl's college couch. he like dude <laughs> <laughs> you, you know I'm not going to say anything. About, for it, yeah. I'm not going to say anything about his age, but you know, there's some there's some salt and pepper in those uh, yeah, those sideburns, right? In his beard. We're back. Uh, it's the sour hour, believe it or not. Even though we're talking about tone Loke, uh, as we do often on the show, actually. But uh, yeah, we got Chad Jacobson from uh, Crooked Stave Artisan Beer Project, and you know, as as I wanted, we're getting into some pretty deep topics here in sour beer. Um, you know, Chad, I think. A lot of people, uh, you know, commonly cite you as a source of knowledge in sour beer making. Uh, you know, we all know your research project, which can be found at uh, uh which is really great. A look at uh, 100% Brett primary fermentations and the effects of some of the manipulations you did in that research. Um, and you you've you've commonly described Crooked Stave as a continuation of that research. So, I think what you know that that project was a while ago, and your your episode on the session was about three years ago, so what I'm kind of itching to ask you is you know what are some updates on on this continuation of your research? What have been like the big takeaways now that you've been able to transition this research project into a into a commercial project?
0: That's a very deep question um, <laughs> you know it's been it's been interesting what I would say. Um, of course, I guess I'd probably say this, it it hasn't been as much, um, you know, pencil and pad and paper research as I'd really like it to be, uh, like all things, we're getting ready to set up a pretty detailed QA, QC lab. So I'm looking forward to being back into that and getting to do stuff. Mm -hmm. Instead, the research has really been on, in some ways, uh, growth of these you know in the beginning it started out were Bertano beers uh, were they anything more than a one-off you know could you continue to repeat these could you be able to see it and that's been a huge thing has been you know this sounds like any other brewer in many ways but has been dialing those in mm-hmm. and along the way all the stuff that we've seen it's been really difficult because we will we'll start to see different things popping up and you'll want to reach out to ask someone and so, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate. I have Troy Casey, uh, formerly of AC Golden, now Casey Brewing and Blending,
3: mm-hmm.
0: you know, the two of us very close, able to go back and forth about things. But essentially when we start talking, it's, you know, if either of us don't know it, there's, there's no research to it. There's very little that exists on it, if at all. And just troubleshooting some of those in-house, uh, has been extremely rewarding. It's been really interesting. Everything from diacetyl production in beers, you know, seems very obvious, you know, bacteria and diacetyl production, but when, how, how those exist. Uh, tetrahydropyridines, something we've been working on for a year and a half, two years, actually, really since the start of Pergus Day, but over the past two years, dialing those in, how those come, you know, a lot of a lot of research that goes into that. A lot of open projects, I would say. So diacetyl, diacetyl reduction, uh, all of these things kind of, you know, have to do with process, but different process than just you know we we ferment for 10 days and you know then we crash at exactly this temperature and kind of some of the really specific niche things you can get into in all sorts of beers these start to become ones that are you know how do you how do you get rid of this how do you control this how do you control you know the metabolic pathways of these bacteria that you're working with or you know funkiness in beers acidity in beers dryness you know fermentation trying to put fermentations, just like the research where we were looking at 30-day fermentations. Okay, how do you really put this on record the same way you would with one of your other, uh, with a normal Saccharomyces strain? And then a lot of work with mixed culture as well. So a lot of open projects, I think, would be one of the biggest things.
1: So while, while you have these open projects, um, you know, is there anything specifically that you've seen, some takeaways, you, know, you talked a little bit about, prevention or reductions of, you know, certain off flavors, or if you're trying to encourage uh, desirable flavors, anything that's happened so far where you're like, you know, this is something I didn't expect, but it seems to work with this.
0: It's funny. I'm drawing a blank because I probably say that every single day. I think, um, there, there are definitely a lot of things that happen that you do not see coming Mm -hmm. and you're like, wow, I'm really glad that happened. Uh, again, no, no specific examples. A lot of things actually come to do with you know the fermentations, uh, with how we're conditioning, with how we, you know, because we don't, as a brewery, we don't bottle condition per se. So one hundred percent of the fermentation is not done by adding sugar back to yeast. Instead, we kind of have a real mix between the two. And we have seen some really fascinating things. I mean, some of the things that were brought up even about starting to add CO2 to head pressure and stuff. And so we start to use some of these things to condition the beers, to bring them back. Uh, what transfers do sometimes from one food into smaller barrels back into a tank. Uh, it's, it's, it's almost endless. Um, but especially with what will happen in barrels with uh, these, uh, what we believe to be like tetrahydropyridines, where you won't be tasting them. Um, at all in the barrel and then you'll package the beer like where did these come from
1: (laughs) awesome so so kind of on that note you know we we kind of teased it before the break um two variables that people are really trying to dial in with their sour beers and especially you know there's a lot of people listening who are just getting into sour beer maybe haven't even brewed a batch yet um and they they kind of want to know about you know how do you dial in your acidity how do you dial in funk both you know good what i'll call good funk you know desirable brett uh driven aromas and and kind of limit bad funk undesirable brett uh aromas how, how, how do you guys accomplish that at uh, crooked stave
0: a big part of it is working with the same culture so we have a mixed culture that has come together you know i don't want to be really fancy and be like oh we developed it and all this stuff i mean you know the right pieces fell together we were using the Britannomyces strains that I have and we like to use. We have bacteria that's come from various different places, um, not really from labs, but more from other brewers. And as those have kind of developed and we repitched, you know, we kind of just started playing around. Hey, let's take, you know, what someone would essentially call the dregs, you know, of, of a food or in there. And, or, um, you know, for brewers it's like your yeast cake, pretty much. And taking that and kind of running with it and so these mixed culture fermentations that we're doing you know have been a big big step in looking at how quickly a city develops or how quickly funk develops and you know one step we're about to look at is you know i know when rodenbach was producing with a mixed culture uh, so that's kind of the idea you know it's very traditional was using mixed cultures for fermentation so being able to play with that rodenbach was Acid washing yeast. Uh, For anyone who goes to brewing school, especially with a slant kind of towards UK and stuff, acid washing is like something you talk about regularly. I've never seen a brewer in the US acid wash. Uh, Doesn't mean it might not be happening. Maybe I'm just not asking uh, the brewers if they do. That's something that's really interesting because it can knock back some of the bacteria. We have not started to play around with that yet, but these are kind of ideas we're starting to develop. What we do play around with is, we again, um, I, I hate talking about hops when it comes to sour beer, but uh, I just don't like to emphasize on them, but it's sometimes the hopping rates, you know, so being able to look at what our IBUs are at, we can put 35 theoretical IBUs into a beer and it still sours. Uh, so our culture is quite different than anything you would read about in a lab or what should happen. We have some really nice hop tolerance. I think nice would be subjective, but <laughs> Uh, so being able to play around that, and then looking at other ways, looking at the temperatures that we ferment at. You know, as you get higher temperatures and lower temperatures, there's some old literature that I have from Berliner Weiss brewers that yeast will outcompete bacteria. So we're just kind of playing around with those temperatures. You know, whether we're fermenting in the or and each each project as it continues to come out, it's kind of an experiment. I think we're very fortunate because of the potato myc strains we have, and how kind of the proportion that we keep in the beers our beers tend to be more brett forward they still all have the acidity level to them uh but i think you know for some people they're able to pick out more of that britannomyces character instead of more of the acidity character i also think the way we brew the beers is important that uh, we we in the past we did a you know petite sour was originally what well, was a spontaneous fermentation we just didn't boil and um, you know, for anyone who had that one, uh, we got lots of complaints about butyric acid. Um, it turned in some really cool stuff, but I would never do that again. Uh, and on the other hand, we also did it with lab cultures doing it. Now we're working with everything is post-boil, post-fermentation. We don't do any sort of souring in the kettle or anything like that. And I think that contributes a lot to the final flavors in the beer and allowing it to kind of mature and keep going. So again, that, that mixed culture mix is really important in how uh, so much is processed and how we process the beers going through that you're able to look at acidity versus funkiness.
1: That's awesome. You know, it's it, even, even with that, you know, we're, we're getting an update from you on, uh, you know, your, your petite sour program. And I remember back on the the session you were on, you're, you're describing that whole process, but it's just, uh, it's kind of cool to get an update on, you know where you're at with those hot side experiments and i think we're we're probably catching you you know if uh if crooked stave is a novel this is uh you know chapter one and just right in the middle so it's yeah. uh it's while it's fun to check in you know i i can i can hear it in your answers that you know there's there's so much more to be done and one thing we say at the rare barrel is you know this is a decades-long experiment and i think you know you, you guys are definitely doing the same things, but. uh you know, it's not going to stop me from uh, trying to get steal some uh, tips and tricks from you because your beers are amazing.
2: Well, and kind of the concept too, right? Like, isn't you're that's you're kind of in chapter one, somewhere near the beginning at Rare Barrel, aren't you?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, there's there's so much left to be done. I mean, I think we have uh, a decent understanding of one type of sour beer fermentation so far, but you know. Chad's mentioned before that there's, you know, so much to do on new Brett strains and, you know, what the flavor and aroma can come out of those. There's so much on, you know, when you add different things, when you add things, when you expose different strains to sugar, what the pHs are and temperatures are at those different times. Is it in a barrel? Is it in stainless? There's so many manipulations left to do. And, you know, that's, that's also keeping in mind that, you know, while Chad's really blazing a trail on Britannomyces research and pioneering that, Um, There's not a lot done on bacteria research, you know, how acidity is produced and the quality of the acidity. So I'm looking forward to getting into a lot more of that. Um, I know we're running a little bit long. So while we still do have Chad, uh, I want to get into uh, maybe a question or two, Scott.
2: Yeah, let me ask one of my own before we get to the email, Chad, Uh, because we're carrying uh, Surrette and Vieux. Uh, here at uh, the Hop Grenade, and they are uh, they're crowd favorites. They're great, and they're a great. We talked last show about converter beers for your friends that maybe don't know sour so well, or your mother in law, or something. Uh, either one of those, specifically the uh, Soret, that'll that'll do it. Um, Perfect. So, how far? Where are you distributing those now? I'm, I'm so glad we have them in California.
0: Uh, so main distribution for us, um, besides the obvious state of Colorado, is we so we ship out to New York. New York's awesome. We have a, a great partnership. So we also, for anyone who doesn't know, in Colorado, we have a distribution company as well. Uh, we distribute a lot of brands, Shelton Brothers and 12% being two importers that we have. And then work with a handful of other breweries. So with 12%, we have a fun setup where you know we, we represent the brands of 12% in the state of Colorado. But we then also sell beer to 12% in New York. Uh, and New York, from there, it's sold all through New York. Uh, they also distribute a little bit to Connecticut, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. So we can kind of be found throughout there. We also send beer at times to Shelton Brothers. And with Shelton Brothers, we kind of work with distributors. You know, um, we have a shipment going out to Iowa soon. Uh, we send a little bit of beer up to Maine. Uh, definitely work with Kentucky uh, and Florida. So... These tend to be, you know, smaller shipments that ship out at various times, maybe around festivals. Uh, Tampa Beer Week's coming up, if it's not already this week, or maybe it's next week. Um, You know, we have some stuff at Scar City and and, uh, Green Bench down there. So that tends to be a lot of what we do outside of kind of New York in those states. And then California. California has been, uh, you know, just kind of shipments here and there. So a lot kind of rides on us and the brewery that we're getting set up. Uh, We're also actually setting up to do some stuff in Oregon for CBC and a little bit up to North Washington. Uh, So my better half, uh, Yetta, she's from North Washington and also for a long time ran a bar up in Portland, Oregon. And so it's nice to send beer kind of to places you head back home to see family and stuff like that. So we've, we've got a fun distribution network that we're able to kind of spread stuff out you know it's not a lot and it's not all the brands yet uh but we're really looking forward to to really changing that come uh, come this summer when that brew house gets in line and everything's up and going uh should should be a lot of fun
2: so we should tell people listening to uh go to your uh neighborhood uh, good beer store and uh, demand that they you know import crooked stave but we don't do that
1: until summer and chad can actually make the beer
0: Yes, and until I have a sales manager in place who can take all those emails, and I don't have to take them.
1: Yeah, you can drive a little buzz in the meantime, or you know, probably just look it up on uh <laughs> dot There you go.
0: That's the probably the worst website you'll come across. It's, it's, um, it's a high quality.
1: It's, it's a high quality operation.
0: Clearly, it's Chad, you've never been to changing.
2: the you've never been to the Brewing Networks website. Then <laughs> I have. <laughs> really? Okay. Well. Oh yeah. I'm glad you like it. All right. Here's uh, <laughs> an, an email from uh, Michael. Uh, hopefully a simple answer when uh, aging sour beers in oak how important is it to top off the barrel and how often should it be done
0: well this is a good one i think so i have a different mantra than other people as jay was saying you know difference good uh so i am not the biggest fan of topping off i think that topping off destroys the pellicle which i think is there for a reason um that's not a really good argument actually because then the pellicle kind of reforms back together within like a couple of minutes and doesn't do much but I just don't for me I don't see the importance of it. Uh again we we don't have a lot of acetobacter in our culture either. If anything our beers tend to be lactic heavy and that's fine. You definitely need some acetic for balance. So our beers work in the way that we have beer that's been in the barrel for 18 24 months we've never topped it i'm a fan of not touching it and um it's we could package that one single barrel or any of them on their own and they are of superb quality they're not acidic they don't have any of that character uh you know that's kind of the thing i was talking about earlier about knocking on wood um with barrels so it's not been something we've seen i associate it you know with our culture and being able to get those cultures in there and having them take hold i know other brewers who are like absolutely um if the so Paul Arnie down at Ale Apothecary, we sat on a panel recently in Bend and I really like played devil's advocate really hard <laughs> and kind of said at home, like there's no reason to top you do this, you do that. And he, he finally just had to steal the mic. Like, okay, Chad, that's good enough. <laughs> we do top. Uh, it's, it's fun. It's fun to be able to play around. But so for me and for what we do at Kirk Save, uh, we don't top. I also can, I used to have to be the person who ran all the books and did Whip and Cogs. And for any people who are accountants out there, I apologize that all of a sudden we're talking about your work um, at home. But when it comes to topping up, you have to have the beer to top up. So once you put beer into kegs or once you – I hope the TTV is not listening. Um, by the way, TTV, we don't do this. So have fun. <laughs> hypothetically,
1: this um, is something you might but do.
0: hypothetically, other brewers might have to – they have to come up with beer so what was that beer in was it in a fermenter well beers in in one fermenter and you move how much did you move in that barrel did you measure it with a uh a flow meter so did you put one gallon so now on all your charts like you have to move one gallon of that beer into this barrel and into that barrel and you have to keep track of those barrels so each time you're topping it up you need to be able to show this and that so uh being that I really like to keep records of everything and what's going on, I like that what we have in that barrel is that batch.
1: Yeah, I'll, and I'll go ahead and just echo all of uh, all of Chad's sentiments. Really, I don't know if we're in the minority, but um, one one thing I'll just add on top of all the there are all good reasons there. But you know, depends on how you top too. I mean, we're using um, basically like a stainless steel filling tube, um, so every time we're topping off a barrel we're introducing this tube that's covered in beer that we have to remove from one barrel you know let it drain in the open air and then move it over to the next one and enter it into the next beer you know not we're not just uh breaking the pellicle but you know as chad says it, it will reform but it's just why do that why have another opportunity to introduce Outside spoilage microorganisms that are going to ruin your sour beer like an acetobacter when when you don't really have to. So that, that's something that I, I just try to move the beer around as little as possible. You don't want to micromanage. Isn't it almost
2: guaranteed that it's going to introduce that stuff? How could it not if it's hitting the open air?
1: Well, it's not guaranteed because that's, that's how we fill all of our barrels. But I, I just, you know, in, in, uh, you know, the acetobacter is, you know, zero to none, or sorry, l- low to none. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's something you, I mean, maybe there's a way you can fill a barrel from the bottom. This is an advantage of fooders. Actually, you can just drill uh, a hole at the bottom of the fooder, put a nice stainless uh, assembly down there and fill them like you would, uh, like a bright tank or something like that. Um, but it's a risk, and you know, you in all of beer making, you want to minimize your risk, and you you have to really look at the risk reward ratio with those uh, the topping. But it, it, you know, it's a constant debate, and I uh, like a lot of things. There's no uh, there's no right or wrong. There's just best practices for each one. Absolutely.
2: I want to do right. uh, one more uh, Brett question while we still got you chatting, and then uh, then we'll let you go. Uh, this is from uh, Aaron. Here in Daly City, California. He said, hey, guys, I currently have a, a four-barrel Solera project going on, two, two years and two one year. Each barrel is the standard 55- to 60-gallon wine barrel. Uh, question is, uh, what could be the downfalls of having a Solera of sour beers? I did all my primary fermentations in the barrel with Brett, lacto, and PDO, no sac. Can Brett f- go through autolysis? I pulled multiple gallons from each barrel to make my first batch uh, P. goose." and uh, refilled with new wort any feedback is appreciated
0: so i've got a a kind of a couple takes on that um is there anything wrong with it no absolutely not uh process is so important you know what it's really i guess ultimately what are you looking to get out of the beer and what are the flavors you're looking to get and then are you able to accomplish it with those methods and if you're not then you make tweaks and if you are then you're happy I know, uh, I know breweries who make sour beer by first primary fermenting the beer with sac strains in stainless steel. Then, before they were doing this in barrels, now they're doing it in fooders. Then they move that beer into the fooder, and it's only half the size of the fooder. And then they go on top of it, they inoculate it, and then they go on top of it with wort. And it ferments in the fooder and spits up everywhere but that's the beer they make and that's what they like and it works great for them and then they age it uh, as I said they're doing it in wine barrels before all those wine barrels were spit up now they're doing it in fooders and by doing that process it's a little bit different than if they just primary fermented the whole beer either in the fooder with all the cultures or if they you know primary fermented it and stainless the steel and moved it over each little tweak each little bit to your process is gonna make it different um, I don't refer to it as the Solera method uh, simply because how short it is. But all our fooders, on the other hand, are, you know, a beer Solera. We don't empty them all the way. We have a volume that always stays in it. And that's our our mixed culture. That's our inoculant. Wine barrels, we do something completely different. Yet both beers are in fooders and barrels. That's just stave's process, how we've developed it, how it works really well for us. You know, it's kind of a lead on from the last, actually, conversation we had. Which ones do you touch? Which don't? How do you do it? So with your method and how you're doing it with the Slayer project, uh, and doing it that way and being able to pull it, you know, if you're if you're not having a problem, if you're liking the way it tastes, if you're liking the way it ferments, then keep doing it. I actually think it's a really novel way of doing it, and I think there's there's some benefits to it. One is by continually uh, sort of propagating your cultures that you have in there because you're adding wort into it you're keeping certain cultures alive that's creating the flavor that you're getting you're also keeping maybe a co2 blanket in there a little bit longer sometimes because when you have primary fermentation in there you get that co2 sitting up top you have that sitting there for a little bit for how long is arguable so there's there's a lot of steps in that process that can be really beneficial to the beer if you like the way it's turning out and the way it is I mean there's there's some there's some good methods to be found for it Um, and I wouldn't change it so I think those are the biggest things.
1: Yeah. And I, I'd echo that too, you know, follow your tastes. Um, when it comes to the issue of autolysis, I, I know in our, oh, yeah. our beers, I don't really see that as a major issue. Um, even with, you know, the description that, that you're getting us this or that what's what Chad's talking about, even if you're putting a lot of, if there's a reused barrel or, you know, maybe a real milky, uh, primary fermentation going in the barrels. Um, you know, I, I just think sour beers are pretty Tolysis resistant, but, you know, I'd be curious to get your take on that specifically, Chad. I mean, I remember, I believe you called uh, your uh, Petite Sour Pure Guava, you called it that because it was so thick with your culture going into the the barrel that, you know, so what did did you ever get any, I know there was a lot of stuff going on with that beer, but Mm -hmm. was Tolysis one of the things, or...
0: Uh, No, no, it wasn't. And sorry, I I missed that part as I was going on. Um, Actually, that's the most important part probably of the conversation or of the question. Uh, I have always been a firm believer that Britannomyces beers are essentially almost anti-autolysis beers. Uh, I do believe, so Trehalose is one of the products that's being released by yeast as that cell wall breaks down. I think it's a big part of autolysis and characteristics you get. The other thing is that when we talk about italysis, we're usually talking about it in beers that are ale, uh, are fermented, stay in contact with yeast, bottle condition. These don't have anything living anymore. That also means they don't have anything stopping them from oxidizing. So, italysis characters, I think, are also a, a mix of other characteristics, which start to include some oxidation characteristics. When you have Britannomyces, when you have bacteria, you have antioxidative organisms in there, you have organisms that are staying alive. I think any characteristics that are maybe produced from say trehalose from the breaking down of the cell walls in the sac, are being eaten up by the brett. Uh, antioxidative, less oxygen influence, you know, less uh, kind of oxidation or staling going on in the beer. And the best example of this is you look at none other than, than uh, Lambic brewers in Brussels. Lambic is sitting in a barrel for three years, two years. It is sitting with everything. It's sitting with all the troupe from that beer. It's sitting with all the yeast for the past year and a half, two years, three years. It's always been in there. It's not being transferred to a clean barrel. It's not being done that way. Are you picking up you know, those autolysis type characteristics in Lambic? I, I don't. Those characters come from other things. So to be able to produce beer in that way and not see it, I think kind of shows that I, I find wild beers to be kind of anti-autolysis beers and those characters not to show up so much.
1: Totally agree. Um, Chad, I want to I want to thank you for being on the show. I want to get you out of here on one last question that i like to ask. Uh,
2: and remember that Jay's qu- last question and all of tonight's questions were brought to you by our friend at SourBeerBlog.com.
1: Dr. Matt Lambick
2: yes, Miller, who runs a better website than both Crooked Stave and the Brewing Network. Yeah,
1: probably. It's a pretty nice. Absolutely state. for our end. <laughs> uh, last question. Uh, I loved asking uh, you know, pro brewers who make sour beer this. What do you think the biggest mistake in sour beer making is, Chad? The
0: biggest mistake in sour brewing? I think it's not knowing enough about flavors. And what flavors you're looking for, and what you the the final beer and how it's supposed to turn out. I think too often people are taking beer that didn't turn into something else and saying, "Oh, well, it's okay. We'll just put it in a barrel and sour it." Uh, people are leaving beer for too long, or uh, people just aren't quite specialized or, or quite know enough about the beers. Um, it it can be tough sometimes to try different sour beers, professional sour beers. I, I get worried about the amount of acetobacter and the amount of acetic acid that are in them or the flavors. So I think the thing is, is that it's, it's still very young and there is an amazing core group of people making some amazing sour beers. And so I think the biggest thing is, uh, some of that knowledge that some of them are holding others not having them or maybe just not quite having the palate. Um, I can also argue that the other way might be a good thing and it can lead to new discoveries and new stuff. But I think that's kind of one of the, the hardest things. I'm not sure if that's the direction you're looking for, but uh, I think it's a big thing. My, the, the palate, knowledge of flavors and all those things are so crucial to what we do. And I think people should, should really take that in um, and remember that when they're making them to really think about what flavors they're releasing, what flavors they're making. Um, you know, that, the palate and sensory is just so important to the beers and the process.
1: Awesome. Yeah, no, I think that's perfect. Uh, sage advice from from a great source. And uh, Chad, I just want to thank you again for coming on the show. It's been it's been awesome. I have enough questions left on my list to probably fill out three hours, so we'll have to have you back sometime. Hey, Chad, get out to Let's California,
2: will you, man? We got to get you in studio. I agree. I would love to be able to make it out.
0: Sorry I missed San Francisco Beer Week. I uh, just had the birth of my son. He's uh, six weeks old tomorrow. Uh, so there's been so much stuff going on. So we look forward to being able to, to get back out. And I feel like California is a, a perfect place for us to be able to get to and do some events. So I'd love to be able to see your guys' place. I still haven't seen it yet. Um, and so I look forward to getting into uh, getting in there and being on the show with you guys there.
1: See, Chad pretends like he's busy because, you know, he's got a wife and a new oh, family right. and four construction projects and three businesses. But, you know, really, he's just kicking back and yeah. watching TV and potato chips. You in, you know, <laughs> all the good stuff. <laughs>
2: you can work from your phone, you know, and uh, California is a very baby-friendly state. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure your wife would love to come to California. The rare barrel allows babies. And so does the hop grenade, actually. We're all ages, baby. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, right. you guys.
0: See you For at TVC, being back Chad. on the show, I'd love to.
2: Hell yeah! Thanks, Chad. Awesome, thank you, you guys.
1: All right, Chad Jacobson, bus driver at Crooked Stave <laughs> Artisan Beer Project. Man, is it that time? End of the show already? Oh my god, yeah, we're way over as per usual. You look tired. You know, like wait, you're, you, got, you want you're, to you're, do like more? you don't like you don't want to keep talking about sour beer. No, uh, all right, let's go. What do you got to say? I I like sour beer. No, I, no, I, I do that's too. Fine. Let's go drink some. It's fine. Uh, yeah. So our thanks to Chad. Scott and Bevo don't think Bevo thanks for nothing how'd uh, the insurance thing go yeah, Bevo no,
2: you're off now go
1: it was terrible they hung up well they didn't hang up on me they sent me to a voicemail <laughs> after how long on hold over an hour wow yeah well you could it was that that sounds like a sour hour so <laughs> although I don't I like that sour. usage yeah now it's time for I a was beer. better once I just started listening to you guys All right. Well, thank you guys for listening. We'll be back uh, next week with Rodenbach. Uh, See you next time on the Sour Hour.